AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So John, another IoT botnet with Android devices. Can you tell us more about that? Sure, and it's more of the same because we've talked about this in the past. Um, people who have watched the show before have probably heard us talk about the Android debug bridge mm. that runs on port 5555 yep. TCP. And um, that's a, it's a service that you can turn on on most Android devices if you want to do some interactive debugging. Like maybe you wrote an app and you're running it on there and it allows you to connect to the device administratively and kind of watch how programs are executing, do like breakpoints and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's like your traditional debug type of interface that you would have with anything. What's happened though is there are some number of devices out there on the internet, um, Android devices, that have this turned on by default, or maybe someone has turned it on and left it on. Right. Um, but when you do that, it gives whoever can access it uh, pretty much you know, root level administrative control of that device so that they can take over the device really because it's a debug interface. And um, they, I think they estimate there's probably about 30 to 35,000 of these out there um, uh, on the internet. So if you can scoop them up, it's not an insignificant botnet. Right. Uh, even a you know five ten thousand would be good uh, uh, size botnet. A lot of the a lot of things that people you know when we talk about Android, people typically think of phones a lot of times because right. a lot of the phones are Android based. But there's also a lot of other types of devices that are Android based now that typically more come into play here, like set top boxes. Yep and things of that nature that also use Android as their underlying operating system. We're not quite sure what's actually causing this. So is it that the manufacturer is leaving the Android debug port open or are people opening it themselves for whatever reason, like for installing an application and then forgetting that is open? So long story short, there's a new botnet out there called Ares, A-R-E-S. Uh, not sure where it got that name. It is a kind of a variety of Mirai, which is mm -hmm. pretty famous. And there have been other Mirai-like variants that have also targeted this port in the past, over the past year or two here, uh, such as Satori, I think, was another one, which also is a Mirai variant um, that also was targeting these. Yeah, and I feel like you guys have been like kind of hitting these every time a new one comes up. And you're right, it's always the same. This port is open. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, and the thing is about it is that it's tricky for people because when it is a set-top box or some type of um, Android device that you might have a very light touch with right. from an administrative standpoint, like a phone, you, you have a pretty good knowledge, most people have good knowledge about working around in their phone, right. turning services on, deleting apps, things like that. But when it's a set-top box that maybe some manufacturers made and they have like something custom that's running mm -hmm. on there, you may or may not know how to even find right. the settings to enable or disable the debug bridge, assuming it was on. So, you know, if somebody did, uh, like a, a manufacturer left this on by default, right. it might be really hard for you to find in some kind of embedded appliance like right. that. So, um, you know, no fault to the users or the consumers rather, um, uh, in most cases, but something to be aware of that there are people out there trying to actively exploit this, recruit them into botnets and use them. There have been actually a couple of cryptocurrency miners as well. I think there was an adb.miner was the name of the malware. That ran off. That ran, that did the same thing, but put a cryptocurrency miner on there. These devices out there that are getting compromised and uh, recruited into a botnet because that debug bridge port is being left open.
maybe it's not a consumer's fault. I don't know in this case, but uh, you know, in general, um, I did a, a kind of a survey with my friends about who thinks Cody and the plugins that come associated with Cody are you know legal and a lot of them were like well of course it's free tv and i'm like no <laughs> that's not what it is um and uh, and i think one of those the, those things that you do have to do sometimes is enable debug mode so you can siloed some of the apps right and these consumers think oh well it's just what you're supposed to do is part of getting the free tv right and and i don't think that a lot of them go as far as turning this off right so you know I don't know if that's the case here, but I think when it comes to set-top boxes, you might have a lot of people that are going to this online article that says, here's how to this, install that. this, right. and then they stop at, oh, it works. I don't need to do anything right. else. I don't need to re-secure <laughs> yeah, it after yeah. you've right. opened it to allow you right. to put some you know, third-party app on or something right. like that. Right. So to me, I think I've seen that a lot, in, in specifically in set-top boxes, where people are like, well, that's the way to get free stuff. but. Right. It's very possible. I don't know. That, yeah, no, I don't have the direct answer either. Correct. But Cody is very right. popular, and that is a very popular thing that runs on a lot of these Android <laughs> right. uh, type devices. Right. Uh, Tony, you had something you were going to say? If someone was reading this article and got concerned and wanted to check their own set-top boxes or something like that, is there any recommendations that we can give them on how to possibly look for it? Uh, would it would they have to look into their router or is there something else that that they can do to see if they're they're vulnerable to to this? Uh, good question. I don't know. There's probably some services out on the internet that will like kind of try to scan you back again. And I don't know what ones are out there or whether we can recommend any one over the other. Um, but I know that there are some uh, websites out there that will do a kind of uh, scan check on your IP address right. um, based on you connecting to them and you ask that you say, I would like this to happen. They give you a report of what ports and services are open mm -hmm. uh, at your IP address. Uh, so people could go look for that uh, as one option. If you're a little more technical savvy, you could do it yourself using, even just using Netcat um, to try to connect to that port on your right. device. If it answers, then you know that something's at least open and listening and you probably want to make sure it's not open and listening. If it doesn't answer, then there's no service running there. Right. So, One thing to add, I would say, if you are using one of these reverse scanners, uh, or I, that's what I'm calling them. I don't think that's what they're called. But if you're trying to scan yourself, um, sometimes they might only be looking for certain ports. Right. So, you know, 0 to 10, 24, or whatever specific ports thing. So I would say go as far as putting in this specific port, the, the, the right. Android debug port. want to make sure port, that that... Yeah port 5555 is right. covered. Right, because if, if not, you're like, oh, I'm safe, but that might still be open. <laughs> right, right. So there's probably no one-size-fits-all solution. Hey, Tony, I understand you're looking into a story uh, about Google, and they found some iOS exploits out there in the wild. Can you tell me more about that one? Sure. So uh, security researchers from Google's uh, Project Zero discovered uh, numerous hacked websites sitting out there, and they may have been sitting out there for up to three years. Uh, what they found behind these websites were iPhone exploits that covered iOS 10 through 12, and uh, what they would do is they crafted uh, exploit chains sitting on these uh, particular websites that if an um, if an iPhone user went to these sites using Safari, uh, there is a chance that they could have been exploited and the, um, 
the the website would have installed what they called an implant. Basically, it's it's malware. Uh, the 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 sites were not targeting anything specific, but any any iPhone that actually reached out to to these sites, um, it didn't matter what what type of iPhone, as long as it was specific to iOS 10 through 12. The um, the website contained uh, one of five exploit uh, chains that were specific to the different iOSs that were out there. Uh, the good news about about this, the um, the researchers presented their findings to Apple, and within seven days, they were able to come up with patches this year for the newer vulnerabilities that were discovered. Uh, also, um, another good point with this, uh, the, the exploits or the malware uh, was not boot persistent. So as soon as the device was rebooted, it was, it was removed from the device, and the, uh, the malware was no longer there. However, if the user went back to those same sites, they were protected. They would get exploited again, and the malware would be dropped on the system. Now, what the malware did was once it was on there, it would actually be able to take uh, messages, photos, and GPS coordinates in real time. So it, it could have been very active for any of the specific users. And depending on who the user was and what this group was doing, it could have, you know, it could have been a, a more newsworthy uh, incident by someone maybe grabbing some of the photos or messages and posting them out there somewhere. Uh, not sure if that would ever happen after this this discovery, but it's it's something that could have been used based on the malware that was installed on the on those devices. I guess they they packaged it in a way where um, they were hitting. A big range of vulnerabilities, I guess, or at least models yeah, of I iPhone. Mean, from this, uh, <laughs> from the picture that they have here, it's basically every model phone in that version of iOS yeah. that they have exploit chain for. That probably whatever figures out what version what of uh, iOS you have and then delivers the right exploit to you. Right. And I guess they didn't have any indication if the attacker set was kind of uh, nation state or less less targeting they didn't go into detail exactly about the the type of actors uh, they did state if i recall it was they were kind of sneaky and low key but that doesn't really give out any of the information on who may have been the ones behind this right or what their motivation might have been i've, I've been reading about this exploits for last week or so and, and I think one of the things I read and anybody on watching us can correct me but it was uh, that I, I one of the exploits is actually not quite patched in in the latest update oh, so really? that's why they haven't really released how to do it yet mm -hmm. and I don't think you can find like the research of saying this is how we did it and you know uh, to replicate right so uh, and I don't know that I, that they will I don't know if Apple actually releases that I'm not sure but if if Google does then they might be just waiting for a full patch right for make Apple sure that get it all patched make sure everything is good right in right. total uh, and I assume Apple has some visibility of, of how many people are running what OS so I don't know um, if, if they're able to say well no one is on vulnerable anymore 
so okay, you can release the information. I'm not sure how that works. I, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to give us stats of yeah, everybody's patched, everybody's good, um, or or is it like an Android world where some phones don't even get updated at all anymore, right? Um, right. So right, I don't right. know because we're going back. I mean. I guess people, yeah, I guess yeah. people still have fives and sixes. I don't know. I, I guess they're still under some kind of patching uh, schedule, I hope. If not, then can they get 12 point whatever to be able to patch? <laughs> right, or are they stuck with an old version of 10 yeah. or something, right? I believe fives do get the iOS 12. Okay. I'm, I'm fairly certain. Yeah, just it's it's a big range of a lot of phones and a lot of years. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, uh, and there's probably no <laughs> indication here as to how to check whether you ever stumbled across this yourself with your phone. Oh yeah, right. There's nothing. Well, you said it, it goes away if you reboot. Oh yeah, so reboot so, your phones. There you um, go. <laughs> but still, you wouldn't really know if you ever did stumble or do a drive-by on this site yeah. um, and got scooped up in it. Right. It would be nice for them, after everything's handled, to release the websites. At least people would be able to look at that and yeah. go, you know, I've been there or I haven't, um, and just give, give the people a little bit of, um, you know, a sigh of relief, I guess. Right. Right. Well, and maybe more, info like you said, uh, maybe there'll be more information to come um, in the upcoming weeks or something from Google once Apple gives them the clear that right. everything's been patched. Yep. Uh, but mm -hmm. definitely interesting to me that it was iPhone because, like you said, we don't see um, a lot of drive-by iOS exploits, um, especially on, you know, un, um, uh, un like uh, on a non-jailbroken phone. Right. So it's kind of interesting right. to see that uh, you know somebody has uh, not just one exploit for one version <laughs> of iOS, but for every single version, right. for every model phone is a little disturbing, which makes me think that there might be something more to this like it is a nation state or somebody who's in the business of installing implants on targeted um, devices. But that's just me speculating because yeah. uh, somebody put in a lot of work here to cover all the yeah. bases. I think there's more to be, there's more of this story yet yeah, to be revealed. That so we don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tony. Thanks. So what you want to do is make sure you have the latest iOS update applied to your phone. It sounds like from the article that all of the exploits have been patched in iOS 12, um, the latest version of iOS 12 that's out now. Um, but maybe one is still possible. So there's maybe yet another patch to come. And I think once that's out, Google might release a little bit more information because it sounds like there's not all the details have been presented yet because they might be waiting for Apple to get everything patched. Jonathan, you had a story about uh, entry-level jobs and what, what skills you need for day one. Do you want to go into it? Yes, definitely. So, I, I, you know, we usually do kind of vulnerability stories and, and things that are being hacked. And I, and I thought for you know, those watching us that might be interested in the field that might not be in it yet. Um, I found this uh, blog post by Daniel Missler uh, about you know, what kind of the expectations of a potential hiring manager would be on day one, right? Like how do you get, first of all, to day one <laughs> to get hired and, and what are the things that they might be looking for? So 
Um, and this kind of ties to, we've done stories about that, what they're calling the skill gap in cybersecurity, mm -hmm. where like, you know, in, in 10 years, there'll be millions of jobs that are free for everybody to take. Um, and, uh, and, and I, in this, uh, this, person, I think he's a researcher, or at least he's a security person, but he has other articles about that very same thing, how there is this gap. So, um, and in this article particularly, he's kind of trying to detail, uh, um, one thing that I, at least I got from that is that there is really no entry level position in cybersecurity, that, that it's, that because cybersecurity itself is not a field, right? That it's, you, 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 there are a lot of other things you do within the cybersecurity world that, uh, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that if someone comes to me like, oh, I'm interested in cybersecurity, I'm like, well, what? Like, what is it that you're interested in? Because you, you could be doing any potential thing right. underneath that. And actually, I brought a, uh, there's the cybersecurity domain mapping that I found um, very interesting that kind of breaks down like every possible job that you could end up in cybersecurity and, and is overwhelming, right? So someone in this entry level world comes in here and says, I want to do cybersecurity. The first thing you need to figure out is okay, on what? <laughs> this is interesting. I'm, just like, I'm not on this list. Um, and, I don't uh, see any incident response. There is on the uh, the bottom left. There is security operations and oh, there it is. Okay. incident response security investigations, yeah, forensics. Uh, you know, my teams. Those awareness as on their user education. You know, internally we have governance and risk assessment. We have career right. development. We have security architecture. I mean, so that's one of the things that I, that as a person in this entry-level world that you need to figure out is you're not doing cybersecurity, right? You're doing something within the field of cybersecurity. And uh, in, in this article particularly, he kind of goes into, um, uh, and I'll, I'll scroll to that, some scenarios that, that are, c can be built and kind of some tasks that are expected, right? Um, and I, I'm going to pick on one that is particularly, because I, I actually had to do it in, in my job, and I learned on the job was uh, preparing for uh, an audit. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favorite task. It's right, <laughs> but usually a junior entry-level person might end up in that team, right? Right. And they right. need to understand what it what it means to do that. And as a person hiring, that might be the thing that you want them to understand. You know, can you help during an audit? Right. And if they don't even know what that is, then you know you're immediately going to eliminate them, not thinking that maybe they do have skills they just never done an audit. And I think that's kind of what we get to in here. That it's not about the skill to do the audit; it's about the skills underneath that you might be able to bring them up to an audit level speed. Right. 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 <laughs> and uh, and then this one is very interesting because you know it, it's. Uh, Things like understanding which kind of audit it is, right? Is there a SUC2 audit? Is there, you know, an application security audit? W what is the audit? So th that's one of the things that you might, you know, ask in an interview. Like, have you done X type of audit, or just a security audit in general? Because there's many different types. Right. Um, and 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 you know, things like um, uh, anyway, this one was a good one. And then just uh, oh, uh, we have let's say five different um, places where we get blacklists from. We need you to write an API for it. So you know that might be simple programming, but that programming requirement is still there. Right. And and I thought that's what was interesting in this is that you know, it's the gap is between the people that are asking the questions and the people that are applying for the jobs, and and we need to find a way to to meet 
you know, skills versus the job. Because you might be able to teach the job if those skills are there. And um, I always go back to this um, cybersecurity career path as a cyberseek.org. It's very good because of because what they, they emphasize on is that you can be a cybersecurity person without this what they're called feeder roles, right? So you know, networking, so some some type of software development, or at least knowledge yeah. of understanding of that, systems engineering, you know, some risk analysis, some security intelligence, you know, these are things that are prerequisites to an entry-level cybersecurity position. So you, so saying that there are entry-level positions is, it's kind of misleading, I would say. Most people don't jump into cybersecurity as their first job. They're usually some other job in a related field like uh, software development or a system administration or some networking type of thing. That's not necessarily cybersecurity in itself, but you get some experience in these related fields and then you go into cybersecurity and apply the, that knowledge into that field. So it's kind of hard to jump in to cybersecurity right out of like college, so to speak. Usually there's some some other in-between job before you get to it. Because you need other things before you can even get to that Right, point. to be really good right. in whatever cybersecurity track right. you take. Right, right. Um, that's really, uh, you know, I never had this formulated in my mind, right. but just seeing what you put up there right. is really uh, interesting to me because I know myself and a lot of the people I've worked with you know, we had jobs either in networking yep. or so I was a developer for 10 yep. years before I ever did any of this. Yep. Um, system administration yep. is also another one. I don't really think they have it here. Right. But having those skill sets and then pivoting yep. into security is a lot easier when you have like a lot of good fundamental knowledge of those areas. And those are the kinds of things I look for for people when they're coming in entry level. I want to know all right, how much your networking background do you have? Yep. Do you understand how machines communicate with each other? Right. Have you ever run Wireshark? Have you ever <laughs> reassembled a stream right. and figured out what was going on here? Um, what is your development background? Can you write simple scripts even uh, so that we can do some automation of tasks or some security level functions? Those are kinds of things that I, uh, like in an incident response right. role, look for people um, uh, when you know when we're interviewing people, right. so that's really interesting. Though that there's very few people who come right out of college yeah. and jump into right. um, cybersecurity. Right. Not to say it doesn't happen, um, but uh, having some other you know right. training ahead of time or working in the field yeah. in some other respect can really help you along to be a, like a superstar in security. Right. And, and, cybersecurity. And, yeah. And, and, and in this article, you can kind of tell you know. You can pick from the task and, and sort of understand like the kind of things that you could do on your own, right? So, you know, again, like you said, maybe knowing how to write small scripts. Like you don't have to be a software developer, but you should be able to, you know, do Python or, or, or Go and like be able to type something right. to automate a Take specific Take one set of data, task. massage it in a script yeah. to output some other report. Right. That's right. like a very typical um, incident response kind of Be able to understand, thing. you know, protocols in general. You know, you know what DNS is, you know, right. you know, things, just simple things that maybe they're not emphasizing in some programs, but that when someone is interviewing and looking for this talent, they might not understand it that well. Um, I was telling uh, Matt Kaiser, he's usually on the show, that you know when I'm interviewing for software development, uh, you know the first thing I ask is, you know what cross-site scripting is, 
And if the answer is no, then we have a yeah, problem. It's not right. <laughs> You're not coding with security in mind. Uh, right. So I will give him the, you know, I, I will tell him what it is and tell him that that's something that you should learn next time you go to an interview. Um, but to me, I need them to already understand what it is before you are even in the, you know, ballpark to be given a position, right? Right, so, right. Um, and in this case with cybersecurity, um, you know, you just kind of find, and, and if you go to the, the Daniel Missler site, he actually has a, you know, a, a blog article about how to actually do this. So he walks through it and, and it was very cool and you can kind of pick things and how to become, you know, from being a regular person all the way to becoming a security professional. And it's a very interesting article. Uh, but in general, I think, uh, you know, we just, the skill gap is there because I don't think we're letting people understand that what the entry level is, right? Right. I, I think, right. Well, I guess that's my opinion on it, at least. Um, you have any thoughts on it, Tony? I, I think you're a hiring manager, I believe. So. Oh, yeah. It, I, and everything that was said, you know, what, what you said, what John said, makes a lot of sense. Is someone coming to um, a company wanting to get into cybersecurity, I, you need a background in something. Right. Um, I feel that way. I, you can't just come in and say, you know, try me. Uh, you got to do some sort of development work or come from a different function within IT. Uh, John was talking about being uh, a developer, and he did it for 10 years. The, the stuff that John works on is very, very heavy in that, and it's, it's excellent for incident response. I came from the administration side. So I came from one, one vertical. You know, John came from another, but we were able to – shift into the security realm based on our, our core foundation, our knowledge, and then start to evolve that into looking at security. You know, I went from making sure that servers were up and down to how do I harden them? How do I make sure that security controls on it work like antivirus? And, you know, vice versa, John, with, with, with networking, how, how does the whole network function? How does DNS function? And then pivot into how to secure it how to use your knowledge with those, those verticals and go into a security environment and, and use those to do cybersecurity work. So it, you're right with this, the entry level. It, you need other experience and some information within cybersecurity to make, make it effective. And, right. I, you know, I think it's just going to take time for that idea to actually be ingrained into when people are hiring for someone that's doing cybersecurity because it's cybersecurity for what? Is it audits? <laughs> right. Is it hardening? Is it a security control? You know, there's so many different flavors. Yeah, and, and one thing in a, in a footnote in the article that I was looking at was that, you know, in, in his explanation of, the, of why there's a skill gap, he mentions that there, there are some positions that you could get, right? So, uh, and I was looking it up right after I read this, something like a SUC analyst. Mm -hmm. um, that is something that gives you a preview of everything that could be happening. Right. And, and you might not need to have that much experience. And um, a lot of times we'll draw from our SOC analyst yeah. team to bring them into incident response or some other type right. of function. You know, like our SOCs are more tier one, right. kind of like seeing the stuff coming in and then trying to pitch it off to whoever can take care of it. But some of those guys, when they really step up, yeah. they're like, oh, this guy's pretty good, or this right. girl's pretty good. Let's bring them in, you know, uh, right. to the next level here. 
Yeah, and, and it's and it's so so for those that are already you know, they have a master's and their certificates. That, that there are positions that you could look into, but unfortunately, there is still you know that thing of it's not just entry level, right? Right. So, Sometimes you got to pay your dues in yeah. another related <laughs> field right. for a few yeah. years in order to gain some experience right. Right. that you can apply right. to cybersecurity. Yeah. Depending on how you want to, you know, proceed with your career. You need to figure out, okay, it is cybersecurity, but what about cybersecurity? And I think that's what a lot of people leave out when they're trying to search for a job in cybersecurity is that, you know, that's not it. There's more to it. And that's what's led us to this skill gap of people applying for jobs and people in hiring managers saying, well, you don't meet our qualifications. So I think, you know, as an industry, we, we should try to figure out a, a better way to, to connect the two. All right, Jonathan, I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. A um, few new things to take a look at um, that prop, uh, cropped up this week. And so this is the most probe ports. This is the ports that have had the most scanning, irrespective of how many people are actually doing it, um, but just sheer volume of scanning. Yeah. And uh, so it doesn't really tell us much about botnets usually, uh, but it tells us about just general trends. So port 8089 I highlighted here, because that went up 11 positions. It was somewhere down yeah. below the, the top 10 line before. We'll take a look at what's going on there. Uh, some other ones that I would make mention of is the Ethereum uh, wallet, port 8545 is still out there. That's one that we've talked about a lot. Uh, still a small number of sources aggressively scanning for vulnerable um, uh, Ethereum wallets with that GETH uh, protocol. And then this one also we're going to take a look at in more detail in the ScanSips one, port 34567, interesting port number, 34567, because <laughs> uh, that one's also got some interesting activity. But before we do that, let's take a quick look at uh, port 8089. And we've talked about this on the show before. Uh, this one is um, uh, scanning. We'll take a closer look at what we're actually seeing here. But it's actually a very small number of scan sources, like less than 50. But they're counting, they're in the number three position, but there's only 40 scan sources. I can tell you that up here, these two guys, they have hundreds of thousands of scan sources. Hmm. Uh, this one, I think, has 20,000, another 20,000. So this guy here with like 40 to 50, That's... doing this much scanning activity is pretty significant okay. um, for a small number of scan sources to be that aggressive. One thing we did notice is um, most of the activity is coming out of the Netherlands. It accounts for 96% of all the scanning tra uh, activity on this report. And you can see over the past year here, it's kind of you know, gone from relatively nothing to uh, some, some recurring patterns here. These recurring patterns are actually the US ones that I have marked here, which is actually um, Census, which is a internet scanning. They're a lot like Shodan. Um, you can go research their website, but they scan the internet regularly. So that, I would say that good guy activity scanning to just try to find out who's out there, who's got this port open. Um, but some of this other more uh, chunky stuff going on later on here is mostly related to these, um, these actors in the Netherlands. And I think last time I showed this chart, I thought this might be related to SplunkD. Um, but what I found out is it's actually related to PHP my admin. So I guess PHP my admin must listen on port 8089. Hmm. And we see a lot of activity here where um, they're scanning for 
uh, a bunch of different URLs that are related to phpMyAdmin. This is just a handful of them. I didn't do uh, every one. But it scans for probably, it looked like 40 or 50 different variations of that, looking for very common phpMyAdmin paths, mm -hmm. maybe trying to find ones that are vulnerable or exposed uh, so that they could be um, uh, compromised. So uh, that's what that stuff is about. What the? Go ahead. They didn't even bother to change the user agent. There's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just Python. <laughs> yeah, they're using some Python script to probably scan over and over again. So um, that's what that is about. I don't know really what to make of it other than secure your PHP MyAdmin. Yeah. Make sure it's up to date. I'm not sure if there's any specific vulnerability out there that I'm um, that they're specifically seeking, but they seem to be hitting a really widespread of many different PHP MyAdmin URLs across many different versions over time. Right. So um, uh, anyway. Yeah. And that uh, PHP MyAdmin, by the way, if people don't know, is usually a tool that's for, it's a PHP script for administering your MySQL database. Right. So I forgot to mention that. Uh, so these ones usually show us a little bit more related to botnet related stuff, because this is most sources probing. So this is where we have a lot of sources scanning on a particular port uh, and protocol at the same time simultaneously. And that usually indicates to us that there's something up there. Um, so the two that I highlighted this week that kind of stood out, obviously this stands out. We talked about <laughs> it on the last one because it was on the last chart as well. Um, but it's more so dramatic in terms of scan sources involved. And that's that 34567. And then the port 5555 TCP is also up five positions. Um, which is related to the Android debugger oh, service. Yep. So we'll take a look at the first one here. And you can really see this one really presents well um, from the ScanSips <laughs> uh, perspective. Um, so what we see is that real typical sawtooth waveform where you get um, the botnet issuing a command to all the bots to start scanning. All, and they all start at one time. And then the ones with really good bandwidth finish their jobs early, really quick, and the ones with right. worse bandwidth take longer to finish, and you kind of get this decay. And then it repeats, and then it issues the command again, and they keep doing that over and over again. So at peaks here, we're getting like maybe 8,000 scan sips per hour, maybe just shy of that uh, at the peak here. And this was, I guess, back, we're looking at 60 days. This was back in July timeframe. And um, yeah. recently, <laughs> within the past few days here, it's really ramped up, so it's gone up to about 16,000 scan SIPs per hour. You can see people are scanning for devices of this sort. You can see that they are able to exploit them and using those botnets. So if you do go buy one of these devices, just make sure, you know, is it exposed to the internet? If it is exposed to the internet, am I making sure that it's only accessible to me? This scanning appears to be related to some uh, one of these OEM DVR security okay. cameras. So you know there's a lot of these out there. Yep. And it's not clear to me which one they're talking about because I see a lot of people referencing it with a lot of different vendors. Yep. And I think a lot of those security camera DVRs, there's like one person who manufactures it with the source code and everything. And then people just put like, boom, they stack it, yep. put their own brand label on yeah, it, yeah. and they ship it out, but it's all the same underlying code. I'm not positive, but that's what it looks like. And they appear to list it on port 34567. And when I looked in our honeypot, we can see the scanning activity. It's not HTTP. There's some encoded stuff here that I just kind of like, you know, gloss over, so to speak. But then there's a JSON blob that gets passed in. 
Um, these are, each line here is a new attempt okay. um, from our honeypot that we have. And it looks like um, the, it says login type DV rip web. Not really sure what that is. I tried to Google it and I found more hits for these DVRs, but then you see a password, which looks like a eight character, yeah, eight character, maybe base 64 character set type of thing. You know, like alphanumeric, basically. But it looks like it's the same, so it, Oh, so yeah, it does, you're right. It looks like there's a few common ones here. I didn't even realize that until you just pointed that out. So are they trying, is there a default with just a set of Might defaults? Be. <laughs> Could be that there's some set of defaults out there. I didn't really make that, I didn't notice that until you just pointed it out here um, with a username of admin. Right. So to me, it looks like they're either trying a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of different ones, or there is some small set of uh, passwords that they're trying here, and maybe that gets them Hoping in. Hoping to get in, yeah. Um, apparently, it looks like it's probably successful because, as we can see, yeah. they went from <laughs> basically nothing to right. a lot. And I did the, these, um, the source IPs, which I don't show here, are related to these actors that are, that are showing up in that big spike there. So it looks like somebody's been actively brute force password guessing against them with maybe a narrow set of passwords and having some success because it's gone up really quickly in terms of the number of scan sources involved. You know, it's common with these devices that that's the only way for you to be able to view it. So, you know, if you're a small business, you know, if you need the, some type of security right. system, you buy it, you install it, and you're like, well, I need to be able to see it from my house. Right, and like maybe it's your store. Yeah. Maybe you have like a store, a little right. small business, and you want to... I can understand that, but I would also say try to somehow yeah. protect it. Like I would, if it was me, I would set up some sort of VPN service so I have to VPN right. into it to look at it or whatever. Right, right. Um, and then the last one is this port 5555 TCP Android debug bridge. Uh, we actually covered this on the show in an earlier segment talking about there is a new uh, botnet that's actively exploiting this. Yeah. One of many. There's a couple of Mirai variants out there already targeting this. So it's kind of, um, there's a bunch of different botnets all trying to find devices that have this Android debug bridge open. And they're vying for control of the, you know, some 30,000 or whatever vulnerable devices that are out there. And this is yet another guy in the game. It looks like he had maybe a little bit of a, a success spike here where he went from, you know, the noise floor is maybe between seven and 9,000 botnets um, on a given day yeah. and we jumped up to maybe 14,000 or so scanning for this so I'm not quite sure how to attribute that if that's related to Aries or not uh, but it has since gone back down again and um, and then I just have a, uh, uh, a note here about August 28th uh, they came out um, I think this is uh, I forget I think this might be ZDNet or one of those guys yeah. had an article on uh, this uh, this new Aries botnet and how it's been spreading. So that probably uh, attributes to this increase in activity we're seeing on this port. Yeah, I wonder if, if, if Google in this case can build in some type of maybe timeout or something where it disables debugging after a certain amount of time or, or something where, you know, do you really need it always up? Like I, I assume- yeah, that's a good point. Um, maybe in a future version, but the problem is there's probably a lot of devices out there that are not getting upgraded and they never will. Yeah, You've got to wait for end of life of them to be taken <laughs> off and that somebody puts a new one in. Right. Because a lot of these devices, I think, are these embedded set-top boxes, right. things that 
people don't think to patch as often. And they don't, they, yeah, they don't automatically patch. You just sit there. Yeah, you've got a lighter touch on those than you would with your phone right. or your computer, where you right. usually get like notifications. There's updates available yeah. and whatnot. Um, a set-top box or some sort of uh, appliance like that, you probably aren't going to get any kind of notification about software updates available. So. Um, who knows whether it'll ever get patched or fixed. So. Don't expose your debugging ports to the internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you're a vendor with Android, you know, use Android as your underlying operating system for your, your appliance <laughs> or your uh, embedded device, don't leave it on by accident and yeah. ship it out into the field because that would be really bad. So that's about it for this week. That I, that's the only thing I thought was interesting. Cool. Thank you. Yep. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.